You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. All right, guys, how are we doing today? All right, all right. In the words of Matthew McConaughey, all right, all right, all right. We do have a lesson, which I'm very excited about. Let me get my clicker. We've been going through uh, the book of 1 Corinthians in a uh, series entitled Gospel Community. And we had a brief hiatus last week for Easter. Um, today we're going to focus on chapters 5 and 6. Uh, before I do that, though, just want to say a brief hi to everyone in live stream land. Uh, and I guess hi to everyone in the sanctuary as well. Um, for those of you that do not know me, my name is Rhett Butler of Gone with the Wind fame, yes. Um, <laughs> do you guys know Gone with the Wind? No? No, I didn't think so. She did. Bev did. One of eight. Not too bad. I know. I appreciate it. Um, with my beautiful wife, Martini, we are able to serve in a full-time. Yes, you can hoot and holler for her. She's beautiful and amazing. As I always say, I married up. I did. Um, you're like, we already know that, Rhett. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for affirming so quickly. Oh, amen. Um, but we're able to serve in a full-time capacity here at the South Bay Church. Uh, we've been here roughly about a year, almost. 11 months. Time is flying. The fastest year of our life and uh, by far the most fun and adventurous. We love the South Bay Church. I'm not being facetious. I'm not saying that just because I'm up here. Genuinely love being here. So preaching is one of those benefits, right? We're going through 1 Corinthians uh, chapters 5 and 6 specifically. We went through 1 and 2 and 3 and 4. There's a couple things uh, to mention about the Corinthian church if this is the first time that you're jumping into this series. Uh, We're going to focus particularly on uh, our portion today with five and six with the notion of being sanctified. Sanctified. What does that mean? What is that about? Um, some good stuff to get in there. Before we dive into the scriptures, uh, if you don't know much about Corinth, I'm going to give you a lot of information so you can just tell your friends at parties. It's going to be some great stuff. You'll be super popular. Um, we had this slide uh, before about the Corinthian church. So on the left in that orange, you can see ancient Greece, which is uh, the peak of Corinth at 750 B.C. So at the peak of Corinth, one, you can see where they're located. Hopefully you can see that red arrow. Amen. Um, you know, it's this port city, right? So it's located right between the Aegean and the Ionian Sea. So they're, they're busy. It's eclectic. We've got some fun facts for you guys. Um, extremely diverse. Uh, at the peak population was about 90,000. So that's a pretty substantial city for, for ancient times if you consider the fact that there wasn't a city that reached a million until like 120 BC, and that was Alexandria. So if you have 90,000 people in 750, that's a substantial amount of individuals, right? Uh, Romans took it over around one something. Uh, population diminished a little bit, but still a, an eclectic city, still a major port hub, still on and popping. It's by the water. You have people coming and going, major trade, major commerce, not unlike maybe the South Bay, perhaps. Um, a couple things going on as far as the, uh, and you'll see this in chapters 5 and 6, uh, they, they were big on goddess worship. They were big specifically on the goddess Aphrodite. And so with the goddess of fertility comes certain practices, one of which being uh, shrine prostitution. And so at the estimated peak, there was 10,000, 10,000 in a population of possibly 90 shrine prostitutes at Corinth's peak. Pretty substantial ratio. It kind of gives you an idea. One scholar put it that it was like uh, Vegas on steroids. <laughs> is the way it was described, right? Here, here's a little illustration of peak ancient Corinth. So you can see there's like a marketplace right here, pretty substantial. 
uh, you have the arena, you have you know, multiple temples. I can't remember which, I think the Temple of Apollos had a, a portion that was still standing to this day. But just to give you an idea of how kind of busy and, and ongoing this city is. The theme scripture that we're going to focus on for our delve into chapters 5 and 6 is this one about being sanctified in 1 Corinthians 6, 11. It says this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord, Je- of Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. So quick question, let's go to blueletterbible.com and find out what sanctification means. Some good things here, right? Uh, a couple things about sanct- sanctification. It's being separate to God. This idea that we're going to shed our evil ways. We're going to get rid of all the moral filth that's prevalent. And we can think of the things that maybe that are part of our old life that might have happened on the way here to church. You know, we all have something that we're letting go of. And we get sanctified. It's this process. It's this ongoing, continual process. It's not a one-time thing. It's, it's incremental. Little by little, God's working on us. He's massaging out things in our character, aspects of our faith, sins that we have to let go. It's not vicarious. It doesn't happen by osmosis. You can't put the the Bible app on your heart and all of a sudden you just become sanctified as much as we like to. You can't sit next to some person you think is really holy and if I just, you know, by process of diffusion, it'll just kind of go into me and I'll be... It doesn't work that way. There's an ongoing aspect to it. Um, it's synonym as holiness, but holiness is even deeper in terms of how perfect God is. Best we can do is just be like him through this idea of sanctification, right? First Corinthian church issues. Now, it's easy to look at the Corinthian church and kind of act like Whoville and put your nose up at them because of the things that go on. This is chapters 5 and 6, issues in the church. Brother in Christ is sleeping with his stepmom. That's hard for you to even say out loud, let alone from the pulpit. That's 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 13. There's lawsuits among believers, so you had one believer suing another believer. Not sure on the reason why, but it was happening. And we mentioned about the shrine prostitutes that was prevalent. Disciples were sleeping with temple prostitutes. These are the three main issues that you find in these two chapters. So it's like an issue about sex, a lawsuit, and another issue about sex. It reminded me of like the Hallmark movies that my my wife made me watch (laughs) that I tried to like... And no, I did not want to watch them. No, it was not my idea. I, the arm was twisted. But, you know, like when you first hear this, it's like, okay, this is like a spicy uh, chapters, five and six anyway. But what I want to get to in the, in the idea of sanctification, there's some deeper underlying aspects that I think touch on what it means to be sanctified as you look through the, the hallmark uh, version of, of what's going on here. First Corinthians 5, 1 through 13. We're going to read a little bit of scripture today, so hopefully you're ready for that. I like this stuff. And, and there's, this is a deep passage. There's a lot here. Um, I'm not going to touch on all the aspects that it pertains to church discipline, but I just want to read it. It says, It is actually reported that there is a sexual immorality among you, and the kind that even the pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. 
Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sanctified. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you my letter not to associate with sexually moral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are moral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or slander, a drinker, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it as a mind to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. And the church said, amen. There's a lot here, right? I mean, this is a deep dive. I can't touch on all these these aspects of what this passage says. We mentioned uh, the gravity and and the depravity of what was going on. Uh, It was a type of sin that even the pagans, those that didn't follow God, those that could care less about the gospel of Jesus Christ, even they were disgusted with it. The church said, he mentioned the church in Corinth, he said that they were proud. That's interesting. So there was, there was an aspect to there, and you're talking about a hyper-sexualized culture, right? We said it was like Vegas on steroids. We mentioned the amount of temple shrine prostitutes. So it, like, it makes me think that how important their self-expression was. Like, hey, look, within our fellowship, within our group of people, we have this expression uh, of, of our sexual identity. Like, look how great that is. But the pagans were like, wait a minute, what the heck are you guys doing? <laughs> like, this is crazy, you know? So what does that have to do with sanctification? We have to embrace the fact that there is an actual standard. There is something by which we will all be judged. And that's okay. The challenge is, is that we live in a world where truth is relative. Morality is relative. You do what's good for you. I do what's good for me. Nobody judges anyone. But when we consider sanctification, when we consider this aspect of little by little incrementally being made in the image and likeness of our creator, we have to start embracing the notion that there is an absolute truth. There is something on this planet, a notion, an idea, and I think about it from God, right? If God is real and God spoke, it's not about offending other religions. It's not about offending other cultures. It's not about upsetting the universe. It's just literally going to, if there really is a God, and he is who he says he is, and he has something, a plan for us, being the author of life and the author of salvation, that his word, what he says, is more important than anything else the world has to say. I'm not trying to offend people, not trying to upset people, but the reality is, if we believe that there is a God in heaven, that that truth is what we hold on to. And we have to hold on to that truth even when we have to make difficult decisions. Like the church had to make a difficult decision. I'm sure there's some people that cared about this man. They had a genuine relationship with him. And what did they have to do in that situation? They had, a, they had to forego favoritism. They had to go forego cronyism or whatever sentimentality they had for this individual and say he could no longer be part of the church because he's living a duplicitous life. It's not something he fell into. It's something he's habitually doing. He's living in such a way that's contrary to the gospel, so we have to make this difficult decision. Everybody likes, I see, I mean, I've met many people that like the idea of the word of God, and they like many of the teachings of the word of God until they have to apply it to themselves. 
Once you have to apply it to yourself, you find out it's, it's where the rubber hits the road. This is where the magic happens, where real change occurs. For myself, I'll share candidly, because you know, you can talk about sanctification and being made holy and they kick this person out and we shouldn't have you know, sex before marriage. Those are, like, those are basic things, but you, we have to apply the word of God to us even when it hurts, right? So for myself, I, you know, I remember being a college student around 2005, 2006, and I remember getting really bitter. And I remember getting really jaded about the state of affairs and where, where my church was at and where the ministry was at. And I kept on looking outside to other people's lives and what I felt like they should be doing, but they weren't. And little by little, I could feel this, this self-righteousness that I had turn to bitterness. And the bitterness got to a place where I just stopped serving. I stopped giving. I stopped doing anything that I naturally felt called by God. Anything that when I was close with God that I, it would be the overflow of my service to him, I just scaled it all back. Cut it out. Little by little, what happened was I ended up being in an immoral relationship for about a year. I left church for eight months. Stopped going. I was in a place where I was reading the scriptures, and I, and I can think of myself reading the scripture. Like, I never thought in a million years like, a scripture like that would apply to me, where I'd be in a position. I, I, always, I always put my nose up like Whoville. You know, the Whovilles, they got the little thing. The thing. When, when I thought of anybody being like sexual moral in church or in a place where they're just so distracted and not serving God, I was like, how do you get to that spot? Like, how do you become that? And I had this this judgmental mentality, and then I end up being that which I despised. The word of God had to be applied to my life in such a way that I knew that I couldn't be part of the fellowship. I'm getting most even saying it. Whew, oh, man. My life was contrary to what God had called me to be. And that matters. When you, when you say Jesus is Lord, when you come out of the waters of baptism, that means something. I knew that I could not uphold my end of the bargain and that I was a yeast that was affecting the whole batch of dough. I had to make a decision. Either I was going to repent, which I knew I couldn't do at that moment, or leave and come back at a later date. I chose to do the latter. I don't know if that was more noble or not, but that was a decision that I made. The point is this, is that we have to apply the word of God to us even when it hurts. You have to let it go to the deepest places of your heart and soul in the moments where you feel like you want to apply it the least, and that's when you apply it the most. There is a standard when it comes to sanctification. There should be a standard when it comes to the body of Christ. We're not running around trying to be the righteous police and track everyone down. Hey, did you pray today? Hey, I saw you single person have coffee with that other person. That's, that looks like sin. Right, what are you doing? You know, like, <laughs> what, are you guys, what are you guys talking about? Mocha latte or... You know, like, <laughs> no one's advocating that. <laughs> but there has to be a standard that individually we uphold. Yeah. It says this. This is a quote I like. The culture of any organization is shaped by the worst behavior the leader is willing to tolerate. Wow. Have you ever seen this one on LinkedIn? I like this one. I posted it a couple times. I'm not the author. Uh, Todd Whitaker But think about that for ourselves. It's easy to focus on macro-level issues and kind of, you know, take hop on these crusades of whatever it can be. But first and foremost, we have to look within. Right. 
So what, what's the worst behavior that you're willing to tolerate in your own life? Whatever that is. That behavior is the culture that you create. That's the environment that you perpetuate when people are around you. Same thing for the church. As someone that, you know, is a minister of the gospel and, and, and wants to help God's people, this is a very convicting scripture for me. What am I willing to tolerate? Not to be the righteous police, but, you know, there's some battles that have to be fought. Amen? 1 Corinthians 1, 6, uh, 7 through 11. This, we go from the, this crazy sexual act to now we're, we're going into lawsuits, okay? Right or righteous? Why are these two brothers in Christ, probably brothers, suing each other? I don't know. Maybe someone tried out their oxen and then never gave it back. I don't, I don't know what the situation was. But suffice to say, there was a problem. They got to the place where they could not resolve the issue within the confines of a spiritual family. They couldn't handle it within the body of Christ. Even though they had the same standard, even though they are both supposed to be going through the process of sanctification, and they could use the Old Testament scriptures, the wisdom of the elders, they could not find a peaceable solution. Paul's point was this. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have already, you've completely defeated already. Or you should have been completely defeated already. Let me say that sentence all over again. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral or idolaters, uh, uh, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I know in that sentence we like to focus on one in our society, but look, there's multiple. There's not just one category. There's multiple categories that separate you from the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. This is going to our theme scripture. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. Right or righteous, right? You can't have both most of the times. Husbands, you ever try to be right in an argument with your spouse? And you, you dug your heels in and you said, she's going to hear me on this one and, and I'm going to bring some other people in and they're going to agree with me and at the end of the day, my voice will be heard, my desires will be met, and I'll be right in the world. How'd that work out for you? Yikes, right? You know, pretty, pretty rough. Um, I, I've done that a couple times. Never, never recently. Not in the past six months at all. Never. Um, my wife's like shaking her head way too much on that. <laughs> What's the point? In, part, in the process of sanctification, you have to focus on righteousness. So what does that mean? You're going to have right relationships. When you start becoming sanctified, you start becoming made holy, you're not so much concerned with this notion of being correct. And, you know, in the past couple of years, if you looked on social media, I think a lot of us had too much of a focus on being correct. Just to be honest. I know that can make some of us uncomfortable, but that's the honest to God truth. We became very caught up in peddling our ideology and that everybody needs to embrace our worldview because if they don't, it'll be to the detriment of all of society. That somehow civilization will crumble unless they hear your opinion. <laughs> the holy crusade that we've taken up, was it really holy? You know, 
there, there gets to a place where how much does your opinion matter, really? They, they were at a point where they would literally defame Christ. They would dishonor God in a public setting solely to, to win a, a judgment in a legal setting. I want my money back. I want my oxen back. I, I want retribution for what you have done. When we start going through a process of sanctification, our opinions don't matter that much. They don't. What matters the most, and Paul says it, like, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Why not go through some kind of horrific situation so that you can still at least hold to your integrity in Christ? So that you can still at least be who we're supposed to be in Christ. We got to pick. You can't be right all the time and righteous. It's, it's, it's oil and water. It doesn't mix. 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. This notion of freedom, right? Corinthians had some fun sayings. Uh, if you go through the uh, NIV in 84, this one says, I have the right to do anything in verse, in verse 12. And in your NIV 84, it said everything is permissible, right? You know, I can do whatever I want, you say. But Paul says, but not everything's beneficial. I remember being a teen and saying, like, I can just do what I want. And I'm grown. And no one's going to tell me what to do. And now I'm in college. So now I can live my life and say what I want. I, when do I want to go to sleep? Whenever I feel like it. Who do I want to hang out with? Whoever I want. <laughs> what am I going to consume? Oh, amen. You know, like, <laughs> they had this mindset, like, I'm just going to do me and live my best life. But not everything's beneficial. Yeah. It's not. Paul says also, I will not be mastered by anything. Yeah. You know, and, and to his credit, Satan's good in this respect. He, he's good at getting you to think that there's some kind of secret hidden knowledge that you need to experience. Start at the garden, right? Yeah, if you, if you take a bite of this, whatever quince or who knows what fruit of, <laughs> nobody knows what it is, right? The apple's a lie. It's not an apple. Take this bite, and you'll, you'll have this knowledge of God. You'll know good and evil. You'll understand right and wrong. And you see that pedal a lot even within, within youth. I remember being in high school, and they were like, you know what? Hey, drink this drink or go to this party. Or have you done this yet? Have you done that yet? Like you're trying to get some kind of secret club and secret society of information and experiences. And once you have it, now you're in. Now, now you're cool. Now you're a part of the crowd. He's been doing this since the beginning of time. That, hey, go experience. Go, go do these things. Just have a lot of fun. But Paul says, I will not be mastered by anything. What happens when this habitual practice turns to addiction? We have people, you know, in porn addictions as we speak, probably in the church, you know, just based off the number that's here, not even to be judgmental or critical. I don't even know you. I know some of you. But you know what I mean? What's, what's your addiction? What do you go to? It's different for different strokes for different folks, but something comes up. Paul says, I won't be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach is stomach for food. What is the point of having a stomach? My wife's telling me to lose weight. I still have a stomach, but I have a stomach inside the stomach. That stomach, what's the point? <laughs> point is for food, right? I eat. I got food. I got stomach. The two go together, but God will destroy them both. The body, however, and that's the connection they were trying to make. Like, well, I have a food, and I have a stomach, and they go together. I have a body. Why don't I just use my body as I see fit? Body's used for whatever I desire. If I want to use it for sex, I can use it for sex. But this is what Paul says. The body, however, is not meant for sexual morality, 
but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take members of Christ, unite them with a temple, shrine, prostitute, as we mentioned before? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Here's an important passage. Flee. I'll say it again. Flee from sexual morality. All their sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do not, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, I wouldn't say it's entirely revelatory that the Bible is against sexual morality. I think that's, if you've been in church for a while, I think you know that's true. God wants us to wait before marriage. Now, you know, it, that's a challenge for a lot of people. A lot of people aren't, they're not, you know, grown up and learned the scriptures from infancy. They weren't taught what it means to be a disciple from their young. So not everybody's going to be able to follow that, right? So I don't want to be hypercritical about people that fell into sexual morality because I did, right? But what's this underlying notion that you see with the Corinthians? You see this idea that they were extremely pleasure-seeking. They went after whatever they wanted, right? It didn't necessarily have to be sex. And here's a kicker for this that I like. When a person can't find a deep sense of meaning, they distract themselves with pleasure. So you have to think for yourself what it is. It may not be what the Corinthians dabbled in. But there's something for me, and it could be simple, right? For myself, I remember some years ago where I'm playing like Clash of Clans on my phone. And you're like, that's not a big deal, right? My village is trying to grow. I'm trying to accumulate uh, uh, armies and, and more wealth. And, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get like first place in my clan. Like I'm I kind of, maybe not everybody knows that reference. But it may not seem like a big deal, but I knew in my heart what I was doing. I knew that I was trying to numb myself with pleasure because of the pain I felt. I knew it. As simple as it looked on the outside, not a problem. There's times where I would, my wife knows this, if she sees some me on the couch with some ice cream, she knows I'm eating my feelings. I do, I eat my feelings. That's why I wear this jacket to hide the, the roundage. Um, <laughs> It's confession time, ready to go. Um, but you have to think about what it is for yourself. What do you do from a pleasure standpoint to numb the pain? And what happens is, is you know, we all get fed, spiritually speaking, and we all, like they said, they physically pursue food with their bodies, but from a spiritual standpoint, nature abhors a vacuum. So you're going to have this, this empty stomach, and something has to fill it. What are you going to fill it with? Jesus said, my food, in John 4, 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What did he fill himself on a daily basis? He pursued the word of God, the, the will of God, with such vigor, a, a daily diligence and passion, zeal for your house will consume me, that he didn't have time. We talk about sanctification, Right? You know, we, we, we mentioned the, the, the first part. Um, if my brain comes back to me, I'll remember it shortly. Anybody in the crowd know what it was? Testing now. What was the test? What was the first part of sanctification? First Corinthians 5. Anybody? No one? Huh. 
First Corinthians. Okay. What's that? Open book test. So 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 13, we talked about sanctification, that there is a standard. Yes. That was good. Part two, we said about what? There's going to be part of sanctification. You've got to have right relationships. Yes. Okay. And this is more for me so I can remember the actual final point if you haven't figured it out yet. Um, 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20, we talk about sanctification. I'm going to pull this up. Talk about yourself for a second. Feel free. It requires a surrender of will. You have to be willing to surrender your your body's desires. You have to be willing to surrender the flesh. You have to be willing to let go of that which you hold so important. Your own own will. And, And choose the will of God. Here's a thought right here. True freedom of choice is the power to consistently choose God's will over your own. The Corinthian church thought it was important to be able to exercise their own desires however and whenever they see fit. And, and I think that rings true in our society today. People talk about being free by being able to do whatever they want. And exercising that freedom, they end up becoming slaves of sin. They end up becoming caught up. In, and sin will take you farther than you want to go and it'll keep you longer than you want to stay. That's how it works. True freedom of choice is the power to consistently choose God's will over your own. As much as you have this appetite for whatever the flesh desires, that you're able to curb that through the supernatural Holy Spirit and the Word of God and the fellowship of others, and instead choose God's food. Some closing thoughts. What is some old yeast that God is calling you to remove from your life? Now, we mentioned yeast in one of the passages before. I didn't delve into it too much, but uh, the Israelites, when they left Egypt, they had to leave in haste. And so their bread that would be leavened, that would arise, was not, because that leavening process takes a little bit of time, right? So they had this tradition during the Feast of Passover that they would remove, they'd go through all their cupboards and clean out any leaven in their house. You know, fine tooth combing, uh, CSI forensic, where's the leaven, where's the leaven, where's the leaven, get out of the leaven. What is some old yeast that God's calling you to remove from your life? For the second point in sanctification, is there a relationship in my life that God is calling me to reconcile? We like to dig our heels in usually when we're hurt and when we feel wronged. Think for yourself, is it a parental, is there a relationship here in the church, Is it something within your your, your immediate family, maybe your kids, wherever it is? Perhaps we undig our hills and we find some reconciliation in that spirit of being sanctified. Last but not least, how is pleasure distracting me from seeking God's will in my life? Is there something that you're doing as we speak right now to numb the pain? So instead of going to God with that pain and with that emptiness, you're going to whatever that crutch is, that doesn't allow you to feel what you're supposed to feel so then you can actually go to God and then be sanctified. In closing thoughts in communion, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, sanctification, it's a challenging process, right? We talked about this, this incremental just growth that occurs over the course of time. You know, there's a reason why we're not teleported right after we got baptized up to heaven because we're not ready. <laughs> 
So knowing that we're going to be in, in an occasional grind of sanctification, what's our motivation? It says in verse 19, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. We are not our own. We were bought at a price. Some of you attended the, uh, the Good Friday candlelight vigil. I think it was a good turnout, about 50 there. We went through the passion, the suffering of Jesus in Matthew 26 and 27. We, we had a video together. People prayed. They shared their thoughts. There was a lot of tears that night. Because when you take the time to reflect on the fact that you were bought at a price, that there was a debt that had to be paid for all the sins that we've committed, past, present, and future, someone, something had to give. And the wrath of God that was going to be poured out on man instead was poured out on his son who he loved more than anything in this universe. When we talk about sanctification, we have all the motivation that we need. When it hurts, when it's hard, when it's difficult, because Jesus Christ died. Think about this this morning as you take your communion. Let us be grateful that we have the opportunity to be slowly but surely made holy in the image and the likeness of our creator. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much, Father, for allowing us to be here this morning, for allowing us to worship you. It's, it's a beautiful thing to see the fellowship. I know there's choirs of angels that are here with us, God. I know your presence is, is here with us. We thank you, Father, that you call us worthy when we are unworthy, that you give us an opportunity through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, to live a life solely but surely be made holy in you. Help us, God, to live a life worthy of that calling. Help us, God, to find motivation and inspiration for this life through your son, Jesus. Allow us not to become nearsighted and blind, but to always remember the cross and remembering that cross that we honor you through our continual growth becoming more and more like your son. We love you so much, God. We thank you for this time. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.